Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joined today, she's a former WWE superstar, psychic medium, healer, teacher, and podcast host. It's Joy Giovanni. How are you doing today, Joy? Wow. Thanks, Alex. That was quite an introduction. My <laughs> We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up. Where I'm from and what I like doing. Um, I was raised just outside Boston. So right, right in the city, <laughs> which is its own journey in and of itself. Um, I grew up there. I lived there through high school and moved uh, out west when I was 17. What did I like? I, I don't know. I was really eclectic, I guess. I'm just one of those people who seems to always dabble in lots of different things. So I played sports, but I also loved to write and was an artist and actually started college as a fine art major. So little little bit of everything maybe were you someone that wanted to like try a bunch of different things because you have you talked about be, getting into fine arts playing sports was that just something fun for you to live that childhood and just enjoy um I spent a lot of time alone when I was a kid so perhaps some of it was because of that <laughs> read a lot you know what I mean and when we have that experience especially kids who read a lot you know we have a lot of our own creativity and our own time to to just think about things. I I mean, I even did science experiments in my bedroom like that I made up myself. (laughs) I was turning grapes to raisins in the window and doing all kinds of crazy. I think I just was always very curious. That's probably what it boils down to. Were you an only child or did you have siblings? (laughs) I was raised an only child, yeah. I'm an only child and I had the same experience. I would just do random things that I'm like, oh, I got to try this. But I feel like that's helped me so much learn more about what I like and don't like as I've gotten older. Would you say that you had that kind of experience also? For sure. And actually, it's it's so cool that you had that experience because as you know, a lot of times, especially in our, our youth when we're a little bit younger, people put pressure on us to know what we're going to do, like what our life path is and who yep. knows that when they're so young, right? So that exploration, I actually, in my coaching work, encourage clients, like, no, when you figure out you don't enjoy something and it doesn't speak to you, why keep doing it? It's okay to move on if something, like you learn something about yourself, right? So I love that you have that experience. Growing up in Massachusetts, did you have a favorite memory growing up, like an adventure going somewhere or an activity? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, again, a little bit nerdy. Um, I love the science museum that they have. (laughs) Amazing science museum that we did even in public schools get to go to every year. And there was an, we had amazing museums there. We have, um, in California where I am right now, we just have the King Tut exhibit right now. And I remember when that just came out when I was a kid and Boston was one of the first places to, you know, view that exhibit. So I was really into all of that. Well, you mentioned like science museums. There's a place, I'm in Missouri, and so they have the Science Center. And as a kid, my grandparents, that would be something they would take me to because I would just love running around doing all the activities. But then I look as I'm getting older, it's kind of like, yeah, I don't even want to go there anymore. I feel like when you're a kid, (laughs) you're like amazed about everything that those places offer. Exactly. But when you're an adult, you have really free roam of the earth. Yes. depending, I guess, for everyone. But uh, I think when we're kids and we're in that environment, it really is almost like a whole world in one building, really. You can just, you got to see dinosaurs, you could see (laughs) the stars, you could see who knows what else. So it's pretty, it's incredible because it just, the way it helps your mind to work and expand. And we kind of talked just minutes ago. Just minutes ago, you said that yeah. we're always pressured to figure out what do we want to do in our lives. So that fun yeah. question we're usually asked is that dream job. Did you have a dream job that you were wanting to go um, for? So what's funny is the thing that I was kind of, uh, the way I often see it with clients, I say it this way, is like hiding behind my heart. Sometimes the things that are dearest to us, we like hide them behind our heart, you know? I really wanted to be an actor. Even when I was doing art in school, I was I had acted in some little plays and uh, was doing some acting at UMass Boston in theater classes there. And But in that time period, in the world that I grew up in, it was very like, that's not a real job, so what are you doing? Like, you know what I mean? It was very academic. Um, so that really was my secret dream job that at some point I just decided to go for, yeah. With going for fine arts, 
if that route didn't happen, like you didn't get into the entertainment industry, did you have a backup plan? <laughs> I don't know that that was a plan to begin with, let alone like a backup <laughs> plan to the plan. I don't, I don't know that that was a plan. I think what was difficult is as I was in college and moving through um, like a fine arts program, I was, I was actually getting ready to shift into business because I was realizing unless you're going to cure create a museum or a gallery studio artists, it's a tough living, right? So, yeah. you know, um, and it was just the cusp of most of us didn't have even our own emails at that time. So it was a long time ago. Um, it was the cusp of graphic arts and when it, everything was going that direction. And I was like, oh, I, this is computers. I'm never going to understand this. So it was, it was almost a natural pivot for me, I think, to something else. When did you feel, realize that you wanted to go from one coast to the other coast? <laughs> always in my bones. Um, <laughs> I joke, people would always ask me, you know, out in California, like, oh, why did you move here? And I, my joke was always like, oh, when I was old enough to understand that weather was optional, then I moved. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I'm just never... Uh, I used to get seasonal affective disorder as a kid when they didn't know what it was. And I, I always had a really hard time with those long, bitter, cold winters. I mean, Missouri, who am I telling, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like right now it's 60 degrees and yesterday it was like 30 degrees. So we're getting spring, winter, oh everything. So I hate it. I always tell myself I'm going to move to Florida because like the, like California, it's always summer there every <laughs> single day. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I like to visit the weather. I like the option for yeah. weather. <laughs> I prefer to like, yeah, 70s and sunny all the time with a warm, gentle breeze. Doesn't that sound nice? We should wow. find that place. And move there. <laughs> we would have to move so much because every hemisphere is different. And yeah, I, I can't afford that right now. <laughs> when you moved to LA or the California, what was that first job for you? What were you doing? And was it kind of life-changing and getting accustomed to it? Um, no. Uh, okay. Interestingly, a lot of people don't know this, but I, I moved in a very quick and unexpected way and just stayed with family for a short time. I was in a really uh, abusive relationship, actually. I was only 17 um, and just... Uh, had some family out here that kind of got wind of what was happening with me and and flew me out like overnight. And I was just supposed to visit for a couple weeks and decide what I wanted to do. It was like before Halloween, like October mid maybe. Um, and then I just decided I wanted to stay and turned 18 that January and got my own place. And that was it. So I did, it wasn't like this, um, you know, in the old music videos where it's like the girl on the bus making her Hollywood <laughs> dream. It wasn't quite that for me. Uh, and my first job I ran, I ended up running a portrait studio. Do you remember when they used to have those? You look so young to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> All good. On your appearance, but I'm like, you know what that is? Yeah. Where they had like, you people would go in for like their family portraits and they're oh, yeah. a photographer and try to sell you the big, huge, ginormous pictures yep. of your family. I did that as <laughs> my first job out here. <sighs> Do you feel that that kept you in that artistic kind of background with being a part of that studio and working at that job? No, no, it was just a job. I wish it did. Um, no, I was more, um, I was more on like the sales side and then kind of running the studio. I didn't get to do the photography part. I would have loved to have done that. Um, I didn't get hired for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I didn't apply for it, but that's just not what they needed. Yeah. So I did, I still did, uh, mixed media art and photography on my own time, but I didn't do it as part of my work for probably a lot, a lot of years. Did that job always make you think I could be doing something else or there's more that I can give to this lifestyle or this career path that I want? Uh, did it make me think that? I think at that age, I really was just trying to figure it out. I mean, I was pretty much on my own, my own place, no like family around too much. Um, so I got another job after that. I was there about a year and then worked at a medical group, which at the time was considered like a really good job and you could work your way up. But I was in medical records. And at that time I had thought, oh, maybe I'll kind of like you were saying, what's the path here, right? Maybe I'll start doing something in radiology or who knows. And I like intellectually, I could grasp the concepts and could have passed the certifications, but it, it was like not exciting at all to me. I didn't. <laughs> I, I was terrified of doctors and didn't like love the hospital environment, if I'm honest. So did these jobs 
make you learn something new about yourself, like a skill set that you didn't know you had in you? That's a good question. Um, I don't think so. I mean, if I'm, if I'm really honest with you, I started working when I was 13 for like businesses. And before that, God bless the people that were letting me babysit (laughs) their kids from the time I was like 10 or 11. I started babysitting and then like actually working at uh, restaurants and stuff when I was 13. So I had already been working quite some time by that age. So I think I, it was more just like it is for a lot of young people, even now, just how, what's the job that I can get? That's the highest paying for my experience level. And how do I pay these bills? That was really yeah. what was a lot of what was happening. Yeah. When was the Not first. Not as glamorous as I wish, but. <laughs> when was the first time you really got into the entertainment industry? Cause a big part of your career was movies, TV, acting, all those kind of things. When was that first moment? Uh, well, I I had my kids pretty young. So after those jobs, I did a couple other little jobs and then had my kids, was married and just started thinking about what do I really want to do? Since I had a bit of that medical background and understanding, um, I had a friend that owned a gym. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll be a trainer. I'll learn to be a trainer, um, which I also did love. And then uh, started learning massage therapy and holistic medicine and all of that, which was really interesting. Meanwhile, having training clients and then some of the other trainers working under our mentor decided to do like figure competitions. Um, And some of them were having some success and they were like, you could probably do this too. And so I was like, maybe I could do this too. So I just kind of started going out for a couple um, like little modeling competitions and things like that. And then it was really this almost like a crossroads of, um, you know, I'm, I still was really young at the time. I think I was only 22 or 23 and it was like, okay, well I could, I could really give this a shot if I wanted to. Um, so it was more me just admitting it out loud and saying, I really do want to give this a go. Did it ever put a challenge between personal life and career life? A hundred percent. I mean, all of the time, uh, for a few reasons, um, I'm like, I, I want to be very PC on your podcast here, Alex, but I also <laughs> want to be really honest, um, for women in film and television, especially in that time period, there were unspoken weight requirements. I'll just say it that Mm -hmm. way. Um, And those requirements don't necessarily meet anyone's natural body type. So a a lot of my time, even though I was working in the gym, I was spending probably six hours a day training, working out to get my body to where it needed to be for auditions and things. Um, Because I worked at the gym and it was a family gym and we were, I was friends with the owners. My kids were there all the time. So that wasn't too bad. But when I did start going on auditions, you know, that's time away. And um, when you would get roles, it's, it's this like almost like a double life back then because people were considered less desirable who were married or partnered or had families. I don't, I don't have any specific examples, but if you, if you think back, um, I mean, it's been a long time, like 20 years ago, I guess, more than that. Uh, well, you remember a lot of actors didn't really even say that they were together or they were dating. Yeah. It would be like, it wasn't like now where just everyone's constantly dating everyone. It was like big secrets and big, everything was hidden. And um, so it was really frowned upon for lack of a better way of saying it, because then studios and agents would consider you less available to be gone for months at a time. Um, so in that way, it was, it was tough because I was trying to like keep that a secret, but still be a full-time mom. Um, yeah, it's a, it was a lot, but I chose it and I don't, I regret it. So how did the WWE opportunity come about for you? Was this something that you saw and like, I want to do this, or was this an opportunity that your agent got you and you just went for it? It was one uh, that I was sent to by an agent and I joke about it and my kids were really small at the time. Uh, I want to say for the initial audition, I think they were like two and four and one of them had like just had a cold recently. And so I had turned down a few auditions because I was didn't really leave my kids with anyone else. Um, and I was like, I have to go to this one or I'm going to get dropped. And I, they were like, oh, it's an all day audition. It was set as like a full day and you had to bring several different things. And I, it was kind of far. And I was like, I don't really want to even go to this, but I, I, I knew I had to go just to keep my agent. Um, lo and behold, it led to, it was meant to be, led to wonderful things. So. Did you have any idea of what WWE was before you got, you went to that audition? Cause it's, um, that's a hard question. Uh, 
Yes, I did from when I was a kid, right? Because I think most Americans who are under the age of 60 have some sort of (laughs) reference point of this at some point in our cultural history here. Um, So I did have memories from when I was a kid. The thing that is a little bit embarrassing is that I didn't know it was still like such a thing. You know, it just... If you're not watching those networks at those times yeah. and back then it wasn't, we didn't have social. So it's like you either you watch the shows you watch or you don't. Um, I was surprised that it was such an international like powerhouse phenomena like it was. That was shocking. But I knew what it was. <laughs> <laughs> when you got the opportunity to be on the Raw Diva Search and being on TV every week, was this kind of like a whirlwind like I'm live on TV. Anything can happen, but I'm kind of living this lifestyle more because you're being that persona or character on TV. At that time, when we were still doing the Diva Search, we didn't really have characters. And I think it might have been the first one that they did in that format. And so quite honestly, there was not a whole lot of like, oh, you're supposed to be building a character or... I was even kind of reaching out to other sources, um, friends of friends and things that were fans to say, like, what is the deal with this show? I don't understand. You know, with traditional acting, you know, the format, you know, the camera format, you know, this is a, you know, a 20 minute comedy. This is a long form drama. But we just didn't have a whole lot of understanding. They weren't really telling us much of what was expected of us until like often a few minutes before we were supposed to go do whatever it was. Um, So I think it was really confusing. I was convinced I was leaving every week. (laughs) I was just like, I don't know why I'm still here, but this is really fun. Um, But like you said, the energy is amazing. The fans are incredible. They're uh, they love you or they hate you. You know what I mean? People have very strong opinions one way or the other about everyone. Um, it was a, it was just such a unique experience, I think. We had a previous guest, Amy Weber, who was on that journey with you and you both got signed. When you got that opportunity signed and you're becoming a full on diva on the show, what was that feeling like? Like, were you worried? Okay. Now I might be traveling a lot, but this could be a great opportunity for my career. So because they sought Amy and I out, um, from my understanding, I don't have like a direct quote on this. So this is just my understanding. <laughs> uh, they were wanting to bring in some females that had acting background to help sustain the storyline in a different way. So that was my understanding of the goal of us being there. So that made sense to me. And in our contract, we were able to have um, where we only appeared for televised shows. So just the once a week, which wasn't a big deal. I did have it written in that I would be able to do other work like with approval. So for me, it was just, I was excited because it was going to be exposure. I I went back and forth as to whether I should do it initially, because at the time, you know, there was no crossover. It was like you get pigeonholed as this one thing and while if I was truly a sports entertainer and that was my, you know, if I stayed in fitness and that was my goal, yes, that's the top of the top for that. But that just wasn't my personal long-term goal. Um, So I was a little concerned from that aspect, not the travel so much as as like, I want to still make sure that I can act and be taken seriously for other roles. Uh, So that was a concern, but I don't know, you kind of fall in love with the fans and the, the way it is, if that makes sense. Um, I can tell you a little bit about what Amy and I, I didn't, I didn't watch Amy's episode. I saw it, but then I was like, I know I'm going to talk to Alex. And so I'm not going to watch this because I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to like what she said about anything. I want to give you my own answers and then I want to watch hers. Um, it was an interesting, like thrown to the wolves feeling, to be honest, when yeah. we were there. There are a lot of, uh, for people that don't know, a lot of unspoken rules and Wrestling itself is its own culture. Um, There are certain things that are expected as a show of respect or as a greeting that if you are not really steeped in that world, seem very counterintuitive, Mm -hmm. (laughs) rude sometimes, you know what I mean? Uh, And no one 
tells you, hey, here's the rules. Like, this yeah. is what you're supposed to do when you get here. This is how you're supposed to greet people. This is, you know, these are the rules of what you have to do and what you can and can't say and to whom. Um, so we really just were trying to figure it out for ourselves and stepping on lots of toes and <laughs> lots of feet in mouth and making lots of messes of things is really how it felt. There was a segment where you and Amy were supposed to have a match, but obviously it didn't happen. Were you training at all for a match or? We were, yeah. What was that experience like? Get Kind of getting thrown into, thrown into the wolves, a whole new kind of idea of taking bumps and things like that. That was pretty crazy because I think one of the other things that people don't realize is neither Amy nor I were uh, like contractually obligated to wrestle. We were not. And so it was us feeling like, oh my gosh, we have so much respect for these athletes. You know, they put their bodies through these incredible things. And both of us actually would get offended when people would say like, oh, it's fake. It's like, no, these people are actually hurting themselves. Like that's real blood you're seeing, unfortunately. Um, And so I think out of respect and appreciation for what they were doing, we felt grateful to be a part of it and to even be getting a match. Do you know what I mean? Um, So the training of it really was going down early in the day. They set up the ring. It's typically when, I think you know this, but it's typically when they're having the the writers meetings and the meetings for the show for the day. And people just go down and work out and practice. And if you go down and wait very patiently and are very nice, sometimes some of the others, you know, if you ask them are so gracious and will help learn little things. So both Amy and I were doing that. Um, and then when we went to Japan, we started formally working out a match um, then. And I think Fit Finley was who's working with us on that. But we were blocking it out and getting our finishers and all that. So <laughs> we're doing the thing. One thing you got the opportunity was have your own character in a video game. What was that like where yeah. fans all over the world who have a game, you are on their TV being able to play as you in a video game? That was pretty crazy. Um, I actually made friends with the the team that did that. They were a whole separate company. They did the action figures as well. So it was so fun because when they came and did the scans and the photos, it just happened to be whatever you were wearing that day was like going to be your character's outfit. Um, I think a lot of people don't realize that's how it's decided. Um, maybe it's decided other ways for other people, but for me, like that's what I was wearing that day. Um, and uh, they were in process of an action figure too that never ended up um coming out but that's that's the one i really wanted to be honest the game's really cool and i appreciate it and um between my kiddos i think i have won and lost every type of match in that game (laughs) to my own um but yeah it is it is something that's really just again like a very unusual special experience that's not lost yeah on me do you know what i mean i think it's cool did you like your theme song that they had for you in the game or in WWE? I get asked this sometimes. Um, I, okay, in my defense, uh, (laughs) things sound different on the Jumbotron. Do you know what I mean? And the echo's different and it doesn't sound like a normal song. And at no point is someone giving you the track and saying like, hey, listen to this on headphones and see how you feel about it. Uh, So you just get what you get. Um, And I forever, for the longest time, didn't know it said only, only, only. Like, I thought it said Yumi. I was like, I don't understand this song. And why do I have, like, the least sexy song of all the girls? I'm like, this is okay. Like, so that's that was my original thought of it. Now I like it a lot more. Now I'm like, oh, it's a really cute song, actually. When did you know that it was kind of the end of your road with WWE? Amy kind of told me a little bit on why she left. and But for you, it wasn't so far after she left. But when did you kind of realize it was time to go? I think so. Amy left in January. um, And obviously you said she told you about what happened with her. I stayed and I wasn't released until July. So it was quite a while of just me on my own. Um, I didn't find out until the night before I was supposed to leave for the show. I had like literally my bags packed to go to the airport in the morning and was like ready to go and got the call the night before. And I actually was really surprised they were calling me because they never call. I mean, if someone's going to call, it's not the office. It's a travel team or to change your travel or something. It's it's not it's a few only a few people. It's not usually 
office people, you know? <laughs> so when you get the call from the office person, you're like, oh, this is weird. Um, but I had just agreed to go more full time with them and to start going to all the shows, not just televised. And so I thought, oh, maybe it's something about that. And uh, lo and behold, I was just like in such shock. Um, I joke about it now. It really broke my heart at the time, but I didn't realize that they could uh, could like cancel a contract. I thought a contract was like, you know, anywhere I've ever signed a contract before, it's like for the term of the contract. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't, I mean, it was being naive, but I didn't realize that that was even a possibility of the things that could happen. So I was bummed. A few years later, um, 2009, you came back for one match. And technically that was your first televised match that you ever performed. Were you nervous yeah. about coming back? Did you always want to return or when that opportunity came you like this is my last chance or what was going on through your mind during those times um I I had I mean I had been asked to do other things like not with the company but around you know there are different conventions and signings and things that people do and I do very much of it little bits here and there and then I had a friend that was like you know I heard um friend that was like really into it he's like I, I heard through the, the what are those things the threads that people <laughs> all the gossip threads I guess oh, yeah. um that, yeah that they're that for 25 they're going to be bringing back a lot of talent and they're looking to do this big rumble right and he was like why don't you go to one of the shows that's often if someone comes back on that's sort of the process it's like you go to yeah. one of the shows you say hi to everyone you let them know like this is what I look like <laughs> right now basically is <laughs> A lot of what's happening, um, I guess, depending who you are. And so I went to one of the shows uh, with a friend. We drove. It was far. It was like several states away. And I just popped in and said hi and felt okay about it. And then they they called me shortly after. I didn't like um, say that I was, you know, I didn't ask to come back or uh, say what's what's up with <laughs> what's up with this rumble I heard about. And it wasn't like that. Um, it, it just was more reminding them that I exist, I think, is what I was, my intention was, is like, I, I still exist. I still look reasonably put together um, and then got the call not too long after that. Uh, but was I, was I nervous about the match? Absolutely not. Because I knew it was going to be, what was it, like, four people or something? How many was it? Do you know, like 30 or 40? I, think I can't remember the number of those. 25 because it was 25, like WrestleMania 25. You're very smart, Alex. <laughs> That's my guess. That makes a lot of sense. Um, but still, however many it was, right, 25, I was like, I'm the one who has never had an in-ring match yeah. appearance. So definitely I am going to be one of the first ones, like, tossed out. So I don't have to worry about much. You know what I mean? Like, I knew it wasn't like they were going to be asking me to do something that could be possibly putting someone in danger or that's when I would have been nervous if I was responsible for someone else's like physical well-being um but no I, I was like nah they'll just I'll just get tossed pretty pretty quick and that's what happened so that was fine looking at your whole career with wrestling what is the biggest thing it taught you about yourself and would you have done anything different or do you feel that you did what you needed to do you learned a lot about yourself things like that it's so hard to look back and, and try to pinpoint what we would have done differently, I think, just because truly in the bottom of my heart, I believe that we're all doing the very best we can at any given moment with what we have and information that we have. So I would love to say that I would go back um, and leave when Amy left because I feel like that whole situation was completely unacceptable and it bothered me for years that I didn't um, make a bigger stand with her. Uh, so I would love to say that I would go back and do that, but I, I know why I didn't at the time. I just had a lot of different responsibilities. And, um, so, I mean, but then things lead a different direction, right? It's like with each choice we make, we can open a new segment of the path. So what could have potentially been different? What, what could I have missed out on? What could I have, you know, how could that have changed the course of things? It's impossible to say. Hey, so I feel like I, just because the person that I am, I could look back in any situation and tell you 10 things I wish I did better or different or, um, you know, it's like, oh, I shouldn't have said that, not like that, you know, but at this moment, it's like, what are you going to do? So, yeah, I think there's a lot of things I would have I would have done differently with more knowledge. But, you know, it was it was its own experience, truly once in a lifetime, like a very unique, rare experience. So I just take it take it as what it is. 
I like that you mentioned with any decision you make, it can lead to different paths and open up different opportunities. And I always feel that way now where I try not to say no to opportunities because you never know where it can lead you in life. And I know the biggest thing is this pandemic brought a lot of negatives to people's lives, but I always look at the positive and say, it brought me the show and where I took this opportunity, I get to meet so many great, amazing people like yourself. And I learned so much about myself through that. So taking those opportunities that are opening up, you go for it. Try everything. Um, I'm signing up for stuff that I didn't think I was going to do two years ago, but it's the time to do it now. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, as you know, most of my work now is um, with mediumship. And one of the things that I think I, I learned the most again and again from that is that our time is not guaranteed in any way, shape or form. And often our human nature is to want to settle into some comfort, some regularity, right? And so sometimes we don't think, oh, this might be my last opportunity to take this class or to do this thing. We put things off and um, I have a little, almost like a little bell that goes off in the back of my mind now that reminds me that there, there are no guarantees about anything at all, you know? Perfect transition into what you do now, but I want to talk about the very beginning of your medium work. How did you get involved and was this something that you <laughs> had an itching for throughout your career? It's it's an interesting thing. I know it seems like a very different, uh, a very different thing. Um, I guess I have always been spiritual to some degree. I, uh, you know, was in college. Public school when I was little and then in the middle was in Christian school and became the like, religious leader of my class and was there was something about the spiritual side of things that inspirational side that always spoke to me in a different way but I wouldn't have considered myself like I didn't believe in psychics or mediums or I didn't I just didn't um I won't say I didn't believe in them I was heavily skeptical and just felt like I didn't want to dabble with things that I didn't understand. You know what I mean? Like I had a fear there for sure, um, which I now understand differently. Um, So I didn't really pursue it in any way. It wasn't something I I messed with very much at all. But uh, after I was done with my acting career, I, I pursued acting a bit more after the WWE stuff. And then when I decided I was done, I returned to massage therapy because that was my background. And as part of massage therapy and wellness, um, you know, I also along the way trained in aromatherapy and just some different complementary therapies. And Reiki was one of the things I wanted to learn, which is a Japanese form of energy healing. So, So as I was learning all these modalities and started practicing them with clients, I started to become aware of um what I really felt was like people standing next to me and I would I would just suddenly know or have the experience of oh I know this is their grandma and I might know one or two little bits about them um and I thought it was so strange and it didn't feel scary in any way it just came about already when I was doing the energy healing sessions I was seeing colors and could give them bits of guidance about their life or was aware of guidance from somewhere for them that always resonated with them so it just kind of seemed like the next page turning uh, but it was, it was a little shocking in the way that it kind of put me on my heels a bit because I didn't pursue it. And I really hadn't even watched any of the like popular TV shows about any of that <laughs> stuff. So I didn't know very much about it. Um, but it did, uh, make me seek out a lot of mentorship. Sometimes your field of study or field of study, people are unsure about what you do and things like that. So how do you take that negative and kind of re- comfort them and understand a little bit more. Cause like for myself, I don't understand it because you see, you hear a bunch of things, but I'm one of those people that I'm willing to learn because it's something new that I don't know anything about. So how do you help people learn a little bit more and understand what you do? Well, I think some of it goes back to what people believe about the soul. Mm-hmm. So I believe that we are all, each one of us, a soul having a human experience in this human body, but that there's more to us than just our physical body, our physical brain. Um, so if I can get them on board there, yeah. <laughs> then oftentimes people can move their mind to be open enough to understand, okay, well then after we pass away, you know, if you go back to quantum physics, you will see that energy is not created or destroyed. So where does our soul go? It goes somewhere. It, it doesn't go far away. It's just still here in existence, but just in a different form. Um, so there, there are lots of ways to explore 
explain that, I guess. That's probably just the, the easiest way I could think of right now. Um, and then the other bit is I'm never trying to convince skeptics. Yeah. So the way that I'm trained is technically called evidential mediumship. If I'm going to bring through uh, someone's loved one, whether it's in a one-on-one -on -one sitting like we are now, um, or if it's in a group, I'm starting with giving some specific details about the person that's on the other side that they're communicating with me, but the communication isn't like they're just standing next to me talking in my ear. I'm actually blending my energy with theirs and I'm feeling the emotions that they're sharing with me. I might see quick flashes of pictures or hear quick bits of words or phrases, but I'm working the whole time with them to try to figure out who are they and what do they want to express. Um, so oftentimes the way they come through, it's, it's, pretty clear who they are to the recipient, even though I don't know them. Mm -hmm. And they're sharing specific details about their life or memories they had with the other person. Um, and sometimes talking about how they're in their life right now. So it's, I think people think it's going to be, you know, someone just reading names out of your phone book. And that's really not the best version of it. It's when you can feel the essence of their personality. And when often the memories and things that they're sharing are like small intimate details of moments. They're not yeah. something that people are posting about on social media. You know, they're very private um, and sometimes long ago memories. Uh, sometimes it's it's in the phrasing. Sometimes as I'm talking, phrases will just come out of me that are, are not my normal phrasing. And my client will say like, oh my gosh, that's exactly, they used to always say that phrase. And it's not like a normal phrase that I would say. Or um, I've even had it come out uh, in such interesting ways like, I had, um, I, I work with a lot of parents who've lost kids and I had someone whose kiddo was on the other side communicating with me um, and dad was in front of me and, and this little girl kept showing me all these strawberries and I knew I was missing something that she was trying to tell me and I didn't understand it. And I just said to him, I'm, I'm I want to work with her on this some more, but she keeps showing me all these little juicy strawberries. And he was like, oh my God, that was my nickname for her. That's what I called her. Oh, and I I would have never said it another way. You know what I mean? That's the only way she could get me to say it. So it is this working communication. Um, and I, I really, I work for the spirit world, not the living, as crazy as that sounds. So I don't worry too much if people are skeptical. I know that they'll get what they need and what their heart is open for. Do you know what I mean? Even if that means that they're only one inch more open when they leave me, that's okay. When you're working with clients and when you're working with clients and after the session's over with you, do you feel that they have a sense of healing after it? Like you were able to help them learn something new that they may didn't know or kind of have that kind of healing after effect? I feel like that's the most often um, emotion or experience that's reported back to me. It's, it is one of the reasons why I, I don't know when I was in that struggle of do I, is this work for me? Like, is this meant for me? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Um, like I said, I have a spiritual side. So I just kind of put it out to the God out of my understanding and was like, I need to understand if this is okay and right. Yep. And then it started coming to me over time because of that experience, because of people feeling even just like a little bit of weight lifted off their heart. You know what I mean? They just for a moment felt close to their loved one again, I kept seeing all this healing and lightning. And I just can't believe it. That came from a bad place. So that is what made me more and more comfortable with the work is like, oh, wow, if people are feeling, um, you know, supported, and if this is giving them healing and comfort in some way, then who, who am I to, to say, you know, no. <laughs> Has it ever gone individually for you where you're able to find those spirits or find that healing um, for yourself, like with readings and stuff? It works a little differently as the medium. So when I sit with my own loved ones, for example, um, I mean, to do meditation as part of my almost like the workout of mediumship every day. It helps you to be able to hold that energy, your awareness in focus and concentration. So I do that. And sometimes my loved ones will join me and sit with me in meditation. I'm aware of them that way. And it just feels like them sitting beside me. Um, so it's a little different for me, but I'll tell you just spending time in that energy. The way people used to say it is that they have to raise their vibration or quicken a quickening, quicken their energy. That essentially is what's happening. We're raising our vibration to meet them. So we do get this, um, I don't know, like effervescent feeling. And it really 
the exchange of information and the healing that comes it, it often people will ask if I'm tired after and usually I'm not I'm I'm like a little bit energized or feel really really good and comfortable. So it's kind of, we get it by proxy like that, I guess is the best way to explain it. What made you want to start a podcast? Ooh, I, I resisted for a long time. Um, <laughs> I knew it was going to be, it's a decent amount of work. Like, let's just be honest. Right. Yeah. Especially I'm not so techie. Um, so, you know, it was a bit of a learning curve, but thank God for YouTube, you can learn anything. Yeah. Um, and I just knew it was going to be the next, um, the next step, if that makes sense. I really felt like one of the goals of my work for me is in building community. And so to reach people, it's a different way to uh, be able to create community for people. And I'm always looking at other ways to create community, especially with, um, for me, when I was on my spiritual search initially, if you will, there weren't a lot of great resources of where I could find trustworthy people, people that were vetted and, and that I could like listen to what they were saying and not have to find out if they were like how legitimate they were. Um, so really community in two ways, community, because that's, you know, what we're always building here, I think is community and connection. Um, and, and cause I wanted just to have a place where people who are searching themselves could have a resource. Um, so th those are my, my main motivations. I'm curious about you too. Cause then you said you could start your podcast. Well, it's definitely been a journey. A couple to, years, yeah. Yeah, two years, almost three years now. And it's just crazy because they always say, oh, if you're not into it, you're going to stop after seven episodes. But I feel it's like like my <laughs> message, rise to the challenge. It's a challenge of mine, and I'm going to conquer it. And two years later, so many episodes later, it's the best experience ever because I get to meet so many people that... I would have never met and the power of Zoom, the internet, social yeah. media, you get to meet so many people. And with your show, Kind of Silver in Mind, we have guests on our show where you're learning probably new things that you didn't know. Has that been the case for you? Kind of like for me, I learn from every guest that I have on. Do you get that same feeling for your show? I think probably you and I are just people that like to learn things so we can learn things. That's true. <laughs> no matter where we go or who we're with. But one of the things I think is so fun, especially because often the people that I am um, interviewing are like adjacent to what I do. I yeah. have so many questions because yeah. I'm already a little bit in the work already. So there are so many questions that I want to ask them about like their field or what they do or um, the episode that released today was a, a friend of mine that used to be on the Boston paranormal investigation team. Oh. And so it was like, I don't do like spirit photography and that kind of thing. So I have a lot of questions about it. I was like, okay, so how do we do this? And like, what's the difference between this and this? I'm like, I, I think I just am so in my own, I want to know um, that I'm always learning just because I always have a thousand questions with that. That's just who I am. I mean, I could be the same way, but I'm like, there's a time limit here. We don't have all day to ask all the questions. <laughs> but in your experience with doing the medium work, having the podcast, has it taught you anything new? about yourself? We uh, we kind of go on that rise to the challenge journey and learning yeah. new things. Was that something yeah. for you? I think it I think it's part of all of our work here no matter what field we're in and certainly for me <clears throat> with the mediumship side what a lot of people don't think of, I didn't think of, is that as the medium we have to be so vulnerable because we have to be open enough in our emotions that that spirit person can touch a difficult emotion in me to help me understand, you know, perhaps their tragic passing, for example, or a challenge they had in their life. And then I have to say words about their loved one out of my face to a person I don't know <laughs> and, and hope that they're understood in the way I'm giving them. It is such a vulnerable exchange. So in that way, it's it's constantly pushing me to just be able to be more relaxed, be more vulnerable. Um, I tend to be someone who likes to like, uh, control is a strong word, but who <laughs> likes to be organized and like I'm very, I'm very Capricorn. So like I like to like have order and structure and know what's coming next. And that's not real for any of us. I think we all learned in the last few years. Um, so if anything, it's just a place in my work now that I feel so at home. Even like you were saying with the podcasting, I, I didn't think I was going to love it as much as I do. Yeah. And it's like super exciting and fun. And I love getting to share these conversations 
conversations and, and like you, like I like being on other people's podcasts. Cause I'm like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, Alex looks so cool. I want to talk to him. I want to, I want to like, I wish I could hear your story, but maybe you can come on my show and tell me all about you, your story. Um, it's just so exciting. And for me, it's pushing myself to remember that I get to have fun in my work and that I get to enjoy all the aspects of my life. And it's, it's in those little ways that it's constantly pushing me. Um, I mean, in other ways, like I was saying earlier, with nothing being guaranteed and our, our timing being unpredictable, it pushes me to, if I think of someone, I reach out to them and say, like, just thinking of you, or I'm kind of famous for sending, like, ridiculous little gifs, gifs, whatever those <laughs> things are, the funny pictures. Um, so like it pushes me in that way. So I feel like because it's such a, an expression of our soul, these things, right. It's constantly pushing us in all the ways, but it's also why we love it so much. Is that fair? Oh yeah. Yeah. Something we like to do at the end of near the end of the episodes, really learn more about the person that we have on. We talk about your journey, but what does joy like to do nowadays outside of work? What is something you enjoy doing? That's a really good question. I was just evaluating this recently. Funny you ask. Um, (laughs) So my kids are totally grown now and both about to be like free, uh, free, living their own best lives. Um, so I'm, I'm actually at a phase in my life where I'm just starting to reevaluate that for myself. Like I am someone who just works, puts myself into work so much. And as you know, when we really are passionate about the things we're doing, our hands are in a lot, a lot of it, which yep. <laughs> is way outside of normal business hours. So <laughs> of course I love all of that. And it does because I love it and because I am still in personal development always, it's like taking classes from a teacher I really admire. Like that is fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I know it's not what you're asking, but <laughs> <laughs> it's my fun. Um, so there's that. Um, but the other, like last year I did a, a museum membership for myself because I was like, let me get back to museums now that things are a little bit more open and support the arts. And I love that. And let me start, you know, doing some different, um, trying different restaurants that are open now. And so for me, I feel like now that travel is going to be a thing again, or is a thing again, I've been a little uh, more cautious than the average bear, I'll say. Um, I'm so ready to like explore and to, I think we all should be constantly reevaluating, like, who am I now? What do I like now? Um, you could always find me in any spiritual bookstore looking at Oracle cards and other people's uh, books and work and stuff. So I like that. I like going for walks. But yeah, I think I'm on this this little phase of like, you know, the next life of I just turned 45. And I just want to know from the experience I have. And now that I have a lot of permission in my space to to not do what other people think I like should do or like what I should like, you know, um, I'm really exploring that right now. It's a good question. I don't have maybe a full answer yet, but <laughs> where's your go to next time we talk? Maybe I will. Oh yeah. You never know. Where's your go-to travel spot. What's on that top of that bucket list. Ooh, on the top of the list. Um, I really would like to spend some time in Italy, but I'd like to go a few different places. Yeah. Um, I would love to see the town, like where my grandma's from and, um, uh, like where my family is. And, you know, so I feel like there's a very long list <laughs> there and just expands. And then I have a lot of friends who are also travelers. So I see, you know, they're seeing the Northern lights and then I'm like, oh, I want to do that. Like I, I want to do all the things, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And there's still stuff in our country to explore, I think as well. That's what's so dangerous about social media. I get Instagram reels all the time about like yeah. traveling places and I'm sending them to a friend and I'm like, Let's go here. Let's go here. Let's go here. And as, as I'm looking back, they're all in Alaska, which is the oh, weirdest part because I, he wants to go on this Arctic adventure. And I'm like, nope, I'm not for the cold, but then I'm finding <laughs> everything for Alaska. But I think it just shows you what's out there that people should try and go to an experience nowadays. Absolutely. And I mean, things are just so much more open to us. And I, perhaps a lot of us, I mean, I always appreciated travel. I've always wanted to like, I've been a little, had a little bit of wanderlust before we had a word for it. Um, Maybe people are appreciating more that we can travel and that we do have the luxury of seeing things, even if it's in our own communities that maybe we, that's been one big thing for me is I've been in San Diego for a little over 10 years, maybe 12 or 13 years now. And for so many years I was like single mom and working mom and didn't get to see any of the things. (laughs) So it's like, 
we can we can even all just see our own towns and and yeah. have experiences, right? The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? That's a great question. That's a, that's a lot of a question. Um, <laughs> let me see if I could boil it down a little. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. My little voice. Um, I really feel like intuition is often pushed aside. And I think when we're choosing between two paths, for example, or even two job opportunities, <clears throat> while most of us are trained to look at, you know, the climb the ladder of it all or the dollars and cents, or does this make, you know, <clears throat> sense with my schedule? A lot of times we're forgetting what what is your soul saying yeah. is it rising up and are you having those like tingles or chills or is it something that keeps coming into your mind over the years where in the back of your mind you just keep feeling like oh but i would just really love to open a drive-in movie theater you know what i mean whatever it is um if there's something that you want to do that's a dream or a passion it doesn't mean you have to quit your day job yeah. it doesn't mean you have to like throw caution to the wind and leave your life you can find little ways to start dipping your toes into the water of whatever it is that you want to try. Maybe it's travel and you can't do it right now, but can you, you know, if your dream destination is Cambodia, can you find a Cambodian restaurant in your neighborhood in a market? Like it's just using that intuition of what calls to you, what piques your interest, and then finding small, you know, applicable action steps that you can start taking to back to the beginning to kind of test out what you like and don't like, and then discover, do you want to take those action steps a yeah. little bit further? And ultimately, for some people, that ends up being a full transition <clears throat> into a different career. And for others, it just is a hobby or something that they enjoyed classes in for a little while. So it's, I guess, allowing the intuition a little bit more um, for what we actually want and what we actually need, and then finding ways to take little action steps towards it. Well, Joy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people, and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was so great to be here and to get to talk to your audience. Um, I'm really grateful. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode in video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.